Hey everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. If you haven't already, please be sure to check out our website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes and also sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content and also stay up to date on all of our upcoming guests. Just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit that subscribe button. You can also find us on any streaming platform. So if streaming is your thing, just head over to your favorite, search Country Music Made Me and give us a follow and maybe even leave us a review while you're there. On today's episode, we are excited to welcome Jenna Paulette. Now, Jenna grew up with two very big influences. Her granddad, William, who was a cattle rancher, and her grandpa, Jerry, who was a businessman. They both taught her very important lessons that she carries with her today as she chases not only a career in country music, but a future career as a cattle rancher. We had a great time talking about her journey as she balances the line between being a country musician and also being a cattle rancher and living the country way of life that she has grown to love ever since her younger days of cattle ranching with her granddad. So please enjoy our conversation with Jenna Paulette. Your week. I mean, we have to talk about this a bit. I don't necessarily want to talk about the things you did because you did so much. I mean, Whiskey Jam, Tin Roof, Ryman Block Party, three billboards around the city. A lot was going on. So just talk about the feeling within CMA Fest, being a part of it this year and just everything that went with it. Yeah, so I I absolutely love CMA Fest because it is like you have so many people in a concentrated area that love country music, that are there to support country music, that know your music. It's just really, really special. And just at, especially at this point in my career, having people in an audience that know the lyrics to my songs and are screaming them at the top of their lungs. It's just, there's pretty much nothing like it. So yeah, it, it was a very, very special week for that reason. And obviously just getting to play so much in Nashville, which honestly does not happen all that much. Absolutely. And like going into this week, you obviously have a view of where you are within your career, but uh-huh. now coming out of this week, do you have a different view of where Ooh. you are? That is such a good question. Yeah. It's just nice to know, like, cause people will ask me sometimes like, Oh, do people recognize you on the street or whatever? And I'll say no. And then we'll be downtown and somebody will recognize me. And like, I think it's always fun to err on the side of like, you know, I, I never feel like I've made it ever, but you do feel like you have accomplished something and you are reaching your goals when you do go out downtown and you're getting out of your car to go to one of your shows. And somebody's like, are you Jenna Paulette? You know, I saw you three years ago in New York city when you were opening for Mason Ramsey and moments like that happened all week long. And yeah, it just, it puts things into perspective that the words actually getting out and that there are real fans, real bodies, real hearts that are connecting with what I do as an artist. And that is just the best feeling in the whole world. That is amazing. Now with the busyness of the week that you have had, I want to slow things down a bit because I love to talk about the journey of an artist. So I want to talk about how you've got to this place and the people, places, emotions that have brought you here. Cause I know there has been a lot of all of that within your journey and the first place within the people and the emotions of this journey that we have to start with is your grandfather's. Yes. Now let's start with your granddad, William. 
who was the rancher of the family, your half rancher, your half country musician. And so talk about that ranching side and your granddad, William, and what he instilled within you that you carry with you today. I love it. That was so beautifully set up. Thank you. Yeah. So William Alley Jones, which he went by Pete to anybody that knew him real well. And he always said, cause you're, you're either Pete or Bill, if you're, if it's short for William. Right. And so like, I'd rather be Pete the mule than Billy the goat. So he ended up being Pete and, uh, he just, he was such an inspiration to me. I would go work with him. I'd check cattle with him. I'd, you know, just kind of learned how to love working with my hands, getting dirty, being gritty. And, um, really, I think it set me up to appreciate the lifestyle that I come from, first of all, and relate to country music in a very, very authentic, real way. But more so than that, I think it prepared me for what to expect, even as a female in country music, because I think people, they assume all the time, like, oh, it's harder for a girl, it's harder for this, it's harder for that. And I never felt that way, because I was lucky enough to have a granddad and uncles that expected me to always rise to the occasion. And my dad also, he he's just not a cowboy, but he and my other grandfather and, and my granddaddy, William Alley Jones, and my uncle Tim, I would be out there moving cows with them and there'd be one calf left over in one of the pastures and they would be like, Jenna, go get that calf. And you don't come back without that calf. You do what you're asked to do, you know, whether you know how or not. And they expected me to know how. And I think that's a really special thing because when it comes to things in life that you don't know how to do, or you don't know where the end is inside or how you're ever going to reach your goal. It keeps you believing that you can because you have before and because the men that you respected so much expected you to always rise to the occasion. So, um, so I think it affected me obviously in the emotions that I have towards country music, towards the way of life that I get to sing about, uh, but then even more so than that, it added a layer of stick to itness and uh, character that I think has been extremely important to getting me to where I am right now in my career. And your grandpa, Jerry, he was sort of on the other side of things. He was a businessman, right? So you kind of had the best of both worlds to come together for this career, right? So was is he a big inspiration for you on the business side and being able to drive yourself forward as an artist? Yes. And I just love that you mentioned him too. And by name. Yeah. So he's Gary Lynn Paulette. I'm Jenna Lynn Paulette. Um, so kind of like a namesake sort of thing. And he was always just, both my grandfathers were my best friends and JP is what I call him and what people call me now um, that he's gone. And so my JP, he read over my emails for me before I'd send them to anybody in the industry. I would call him and just be like, Hey, I'm going to sit down with XYZ label or XYZ publishing house, how do I get what I want to get out of this meeting? And um, he would call me on a weekly basis and be like, hey, Jenna, what have you done for your career today? And I'd be like, you know, I'd have to have an answer for him. And so it's this accountability thing and very like Texas businessman. He went to the University of Texas. He was just kind of like all American, all Texan from West Texas. So they're salt of the earth, hardworking people. And he was kind of self-made. And so with him, it was like I knew and respected his opinion in every area of business. And it helped me be a better businesswoman and think of myself like a business owner and not just a musician. And I think 
Um, obviously the storyline of what I do is really important as a country artist, but also being able to um, operate in the country music industry as a, a woman that thinks about herself as a brand and how to make that thing make money in the long run. Um, it all came from him and it all came from, again, you know, men that just expected me to be able to do what I dreamed about doing. And he kind of equipped me for that in the business sense and obviously relationally too, because he, he was a VP and president and like headhunter for a bunch of different companies. And so he knew how to run things and get things done and still make people feel very special as he interacted with them. And so getting to watch him do that successfully prepared me for what I get to do now as a businesswoman, but country artist as well. Right. And now faith is a big part of your journey. And so this past week at CMA Fest, could you feel them just looking down on you and just smiling at what you're able to accomplish? Oh yeah. It gave me the goosebumps just to hear you say that. Yes. I mean, and they, I mean, I feel them with me all the time and, you know, I'll just be like, Hey Jesus, you know, tell, tell granddaddy, hi, tell JP, hi, you know, tell him I love him. And, um, there have been some really special moments that I've really even more so felt, um, just their pride in me, you know, even looking down cause I know God's keeping them up to date and I know time doesn't really matter up there too. So it's like this, um, just this perfect support feeling of knowing that they, are seeing me do what they knew I was capable of. Absolutely. That's awesome. And as far as music goes, like you mentioned country music while you were herding cattle with your grandpa. And I think I saw your grandpa, Jerry would be the kind of guy who would just jump up and sing. Like he enjoyed being the life of the party. So did they inspire you sort of in two different ways? Maybe your grandpa, William, um, listening to music and then your grandpa, Jerry, more singing the music. Oh yeah. So with granddaddy William, um, we would be in his trucks and listening to, he had hymns that he listened to that were like, I don't know, old school, like country cowboy hymns. And then an Alan Jackson record that was all hymns. And then George Strait's greatest hits and Don Williams and Eddie Arnold and some of that really old stuff. So I kind of got like all the cowboy music and just a deep, deep love and respect for um, just country music in general from him. And then my JP listened to country radio all the time, loved George Strait. Troubadour was one of his favorite songs. And he just like, in the way he smiles, like he just, he reminds me of like the way that George Strait songs make me feel like he's just kind of the man. And then we would be out with my entire family at like a Mexican food restaurant in Texas. And um, my JP would be like, Jenna you got a song for us. And I'd be like, yes, sir. You know, you just never tell him no. And so I think my confidence in my singing ability came from him just putting me in those positions all the time. And then also he played stand-up bass in a kind of like rockabilly um, rock West Texas band growing up that like performance bone in his body. And uh, I think that's why he enjoyed seeing me perform so very much. So yeah, little history lesson there, but yeah, they both very much so influenced me in two totally different ways that worked very much together on my behalf. That's awesome. And you started in the church choir when you were quite young. And so that experience, did that 
teach you the performance side and what it meant to be in front of people performing? And have you always loved that? I think it was three when you joined the choir. So do you remember always enjoying that? Yes, I do. In fact, like that three-year-old performance that I did, it was like, I think it was Candy Cane Lane or something like that. And I had my first solo and I just remember feeling so at home on stage, you know, that's a very early memory to have, but I felt very comfortable up there. Yes. Occasionally I get nervous and have gotten nervous my whole life, but that's usually because I just care a whole lot about doing a good job. And uh, yeah, so I've been singing forever. I went from church choir to, you know, choirs in elementary school to middle school. And then high school, I was, uh, I did musical theater stuff too. And then, um, sang in church choir, high school choir, all state choir, all region choir. And, um, gosh, there was one more that was like a small, small ensemble. Oh, it was part of my church choir, but it was like a select group. So anyway, yeah, lots, lots, lots of performing opportunities. And then obviously the musical theater stuff came into play too. And I love, love, love acting. Um, so at some point I want to kind of dip my toe in that water, but kind of like Reba, I think she, she established herself as a country artist and then dabbled in, you know, Amy, get your gun and, you know, Reba and, you know, all these awesome things that she kind of got into, but yeah, so I got comfortable really, really young being on stage and just have loved it ever since. There's two places I feel the most like myself and it's for the very same reason because you have to be on your toes when, and, and prepared for anything to happen when you are on stage or when you are sorting cattle and those two places, it's just always a reaction. You got to be prepared to be there obviously and, and mentally aware, but beyond that, it's all just reacting to what's happening right before you and responding to people or cows. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Now I believe the chicks were, and still are a big influence for you. And yes. I wanted to ask you, about one certain memory that I read about on a trip to the Grand Canyon, a family trip to the Grand Canyon, and the Chicks album was playing in the car. And sort of, I read that was sort of your parents' first thought that, oh, wow, she has, she has it. Yep. So we were, yeah, we were on a family trip. And that fly record, I believe, was out. And my parents would, you know, turn down the dial when, you know, Wide Open Spaces or Cowboy Take Me Away or any one of those, like, super, super popular songs would come on. And they would turn down the dial and I would still be on pitch and on time when they turned it back up. And I remember seeing my dad, like, in the rearview mirror be like, "Uh, Tracy, my mom's name is Tracy. I think she's got something. I think she's, I think she could do this. And I remember hearing that and it kind of registering to me, like, you know what? Yeah, I can do this and I am capable. I am going to do it, you know, because I love the way that it made me feel. And I I loved the way that that music made me feel. And so it just kind of connected the dots for me. And obviously having somebody like my mom and dad recognize what God made me to do and be uh, at a young age, just kind of confirmed what I, was already kind of feeling and then um, set me up to believe that I could. And what age were you then? Uh, probably, gosh, I don't know. Anywhere between like eight and, I don't know, probably around eight, maybe 10, I don't know. Okay. Maybe younger, maybe younger. It might've been right. six, I don't know. But whenever that record was out and like super hot, you know. So you've you've known that you've wanted to do this for a while. And yeah. so when you got to the point of finishing high school, 
I read that you were in a national musical and the music director of Savannah College approached you and offered you a full ride scholarship to attend their school. Now, at that point, was there any part of you that thought, I don't want to take that because I want to chase this career in music right away? Well, um, I know. And yes, I so my college was always extremely important in my family. And so my, my dad, like there really wasn't an option not to go to school. It was just, I'm one of four kids. So my dad was like, uh, you're either going to community college and getting a degree or you are going to take whatever (laughs) scholarship comes. And so I was praying for a full ride. I'd gotten into Boston conservatory, um, which is now just Berkeley, I think. And, um, because I was in that national musical, I knew I wanted to do country music. So I was kind of like up in the air about whether I even wanted to go to school there, but it was such a prestigious acceptance that I was like, okay, well maybe, you know, and right, kind yeah. of praying for the funds to come through on that front. And then I had been praying pretty much that whole year that, um, that I would end up going to school where, uh, I was supposed to, and that I would get a full ride. And that, cause I told my dad, I, I quit playing basketball my junior year and I'd been on varsity oh, okay. all, all of high school. And so my dad thought my scholarship was going to come from basketball, but I knew I was supposed to do music. So, um, I said to my dad, he, when I quit basketball, he was like, you're giving up your scholarship and you know, like, I don't know how you're going to pay for school basically. And I said, right. dad, I'm going to get a full ride for singing. And he said, I'll believe it when I see it. And so I was like, okay, I better pray big, you know, because yeah. that like could or could not happen and we'll see what happens. So, um, I've been praying for that for pretty much my whole year, uh, or halfway, I guess, through my junior year and all the way through my senior year, um, uh, was in that national musical the summer between, uh, senior year and college. Oh wow! And I still didn't really have an answer to where I was supposed to go to school or how I was going to pay for it or anything like that. And, um, I was, I'm a huge university of Texas fan. My JP went there, my brother went there. Um, and my dad would have gone there, but he got a scholarship to play baseball at Baylor. So, okay. Yeah. So I'm just like massive, um, college football fan. And so I was hoping for some way to kind of end up at one of those schools or anything like that. But after my last performance in that national musical, um, the director of music for Savannah College of Art and Design came up to me and he was like, hey, Jenna, I got a full ride and a spot in a six-member ensemble with your name on it. Do you want it? And I was like, Savannah, Georgia? What? You know, like, I didn't even really know what to expect from there. Like, I love this. A lot of Civil War stuff happened there and that's fascinating to me, but I'd never considered going to school there. I had also never taken an art class in my life. Oh, wow. (laughs) I was you know, being offered a full ride scholarship to a school that that's what they pride themselves on is the art aspect of things. So, um, I really just felt like I was supposed to go there because it was such an answer to prayer for me. And then, um, obviously my dad was like, well, you're going where the money is. And I was like, okay, I guess I am. So, um, so I got to school there. I was singing, I was getting my minor in music because I didn't have a full major in music or vocal performance. So my minor was vocal performance. Um, and then my major, uh, when we had to declare our sophomore year, uh, what we were going to major in there, were a lot, I was looking through the catalog and I just, uh, talked to my dad and, and had 
read an article on Kenny Chesney and found out, excuse me, found out that he had gotten his degree in marketing. And I was like, okay, well, I know exactly what I want to do with my life. And if these teachers will let me apply everything I learned about marketing to a career in country music, then we'll be good as gold. And I'll kind of understand how to craft my story and, um, and the imagery and the whole package so that people understand who I am quickly. And, um, it was such a blessing to me to end up having to have that perspective. Cause I think a lot of artists don't think about the fact that you have to carve out a lane for yourself, that people need to be able to understand you quickly. And I think even more importantly than any of that is that once you do create a brand, you are trying to make sure that you stay in that lane. Yes, you can make little fun, you know, ventures every now and then, but people need to be able to know what to expect from you so that when you put a song out, it satisfies the feeling that you are giving them and it does it over and over again in a fresh way. And um, I think my college experience and my degree just set me up for being successful and having a good outlook on what it means to be an artist and how to be consistent within creativity. So I think it's really easy to just be like, whatever I'm inspired by, you know, rather than having a story and a goal and, um, and having what you do support that always so that people aren't confused by you as you grow. So yeah, it was a huge blessing. And what is the balance like there? Because I saw one post that you had where there was negativity towards your brand and people saying that you were fake because of this brand. And so there's this balance, I think, of being personal and not trying too hard to sell yourself become because then it comes across as you're trying to sell yourself. So how do you toe that line? Yes. So not reacting to everything everybody says. However, this, that one was a stinger, you know, for me, because this girl, we, so I grew up working cattle on foot and four wheelers and a lot of people do that. I mean, there are so many operations that don't use horses at all anymore. And I can ride. I do know how to do it. It is a learning experience every single day, regardless of whether you grew up on a horse or not. And, um, so anyways, this girl literally never even shaken my hand and was at the same barn as me that I started learning to ride at when I moved to Nashville. And so, um, yeah, so she was like, you don't know what you're talking about. You think you're a multi-generational rancher and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I know for a fact, you didn't know how to ride. And I was like, hold on, because that's actually not what it means to be a cowgirl. A cowgirl is a girl that can work cattle. Period. Yeah. You know what I mean? And really these days, it doesn't matter how you do it. Cause there's so many different ways. So, but anyways, I just thought it was important to address that because there was a lot of people that did not know me and did not know that I'm a third generation rancher and that, I spend my, all of my free time pretty much either learning about cattle, working on other people's ranches or listening to podcasts about different grazing techniques. And, you know, just like a bunch of different things that it's like always a learning thing for me. I'm passionate about it. So when that was attacked, it wasn't like somebody was just saying like, you know, I hate that top you're wearing. It was like, Oh, okay. Like she's coming at my character in my story and, um, in the things that I care about the 
most in my life. And it is representing agriculture. And I didn't even post it really to like have a bunch of people be like, no, I know you're the real deal or whatever. But it was really nice to see all of my friends that have worked cattle with me that do know me be like, LOL, this girl does not know what she's talking about. So like, I don't know, it was, I felt like it was a necessary thing to address because um, it's such an important part of why I do what I do. Right. And yeah. it is my reason like that there is no other reason why I would be in country music other than to represent that demographic and to do it justice and, and represent agriculture within country music too. Those are the things I'm the most passionate about. So really if somebody's just mean or say like, they just say something like, Oh, I hate that shirt on you. Or, you know, like people are just mean for no reason. Yeah. I'll just let it roll. But then if it's something like that, where I think it's really important to say something about it, you know, I'll do that. And usually I block people immediately that are mean. Cause I'm like, you're just being mean for no reason. Like I don't even think about saying mean things to people and people are just shameless and, and bold on the internet and behind a screen. So, and they just don't know how much it affects people. So, yeah. So I just felt like it was necessary to say something about that. <laughs> Absolutely. And now your journey with the ranch, you have inherited the family rights to the name which is Gladney Ranch, I believe. Now, the actual ranch was sold in 2020. Now, talk about that experience the final time, that final drive into the ranch and that final drive out and just what that experience was like for you. Oh, my gosh. Well, I, I don't know if I've ever cried that hard in my life. Like, the last time we worked cattle there, it was like, I knew it was the last time I would see our cows with our brand up on those hills. And my sister and I were like, so dirty from working and it was super dusty that day. And I just remember like finally looking at my face in the mirror after, you know, like crying for a long time after working those cows. And there were just like streaks of tears that had run down my face and washed the dirt away, but the dirt that was still there. And I didn't even want to wash my face because I was like, this dirt is too important to me. You know, I want it to be like in my blood forever. <laughs> and um, yeah, so it was really hard, really, really hard. There's never a day that I imagined that we would not have cattle on that property and that it wouldn't be ours. Um, so yeah, so that was really hard, but, um, when it sold, I, I gave the guy a letter that, uh, now owns it. And I just said, Hey, here's the history of the place. Here's how my granddad acquired it. And, um, and my granddad inherited it from a woman that wasn't even his mother. And, um, he had worked for her and her sons in the oil fields. And so he was a roughneck. And then, her boys did not want to be a cowboy at all. And she had had that property for a long, long time. And so she had my granddad keep her cows and then also add to his herd, like a heifer a year um, from the time that he started working for her till the time that she passed away. And wow. so when she passed away, she told her sons like, Hey, I want you to give the ranch to William. Allie Jones. And so he inherited it from her for nothing. She didn't make him pay taxes, absolutely nothing on it. Wow. So just always really special because of that. And then, um, yeah. Uh, so I told them that and about 
when he registered his brand, which was in 1983. And um, that brand's now in my name, which is pretty fun. Um, and then, yeah, and I, I told him, you know, if you ever think about selling this place, would you please call me first? And he called me and he told me to keep my keys and that he had a feeling I was going to be getting it back. So, and I'm welcome there anytime. So I'll, I'll go and anytime I'm home, I'll just go sit and be there. And I'm excited to get it back. And honestly, I feel like it's such a blessing because it's going to be back in my hands in a better way than I would have received it from inheriting from my family because it'll be all in one piece. And because in ranching families, usually it's split it up if, mm, if, right. uh, agree on how to split it up, which they couldn't agree on how to split it up, which is why it was sold. So that, that's just a little backstory, but, um, yeah, so I'll get it back in, uh, just a more whole fashion. And then, um, hopefully we'll be able to work out just a few little hiccup, like legal things that happen with a guy that is working on the property right now, which will be great because that'll be a better thing for me anyway and then I'll be able to put cattle back out there and the way that I want to go about it is uh, actually these hats I'm wearing um, my W.A. Jones cattle co hats my granddad is the one that designed these and the original is a denim one and he ranchers do this all the time they they will give somebody a hat that comes work for them or somebody to sell their calves to or you know whatever and it's just like a pride thing you you give it to somebody you represent their ranch. And so right. um, he designed the denim ones. And I have this khaki one and then a kind of like 70s hunting camo one that's real cool too with brown lettering. And um, I'm going to sell these and they're going to be called my buyback the ranch hats. And then once I buy my family's place back, I want to pick a family a year to help them keep their ranch in their oh, family. Wow. And uh, just keep it going because it's so special to be able to keep your legacy going. And with the way that um, land's being bought up right now, it's really important to keep branches in families so that really the backbone of America and of the world, which are you know people that get to get their hands dirty every day and that love their families and work really hard, and don't get paid enough, um, help them be able to keep it in their families as well. And now within this journey of country music, it does take you away from home. It is a very all-encompassing career, especially like for you who are so involved with the marketing side and needing to be involved with that. So was there ever a time throughout this career where you were almost jaded to how much time it was taking away from your family? Or have you always been able to balance that? Oh, yeah. And it's still hard for me, honestly. Like, I... I love Nashville. So I'm not like one of those. It's like, oh, I hate Nashville. I never want to be here, but, right. uh, but it's not home and it's, it's not why I got into country music to begin with. So it's always been hard on me to feel like, I, I, well, I think there's a season of your career when you need to be in town really bad. And I think um, that has been the last six and a half years for me has been being here, making relationships, being easy to get a meeting with and, you know, all of that stuff, but it, it took a toll on my little heart, you know, like I just didn't feel like I got to see my family enough. Um, 
my family's my best friends, like my brother, my two sisters, my mom, my dad, my aunts and uncles, my grandma, we're just, we're all extremely close. And so for me to be away from them and then away from the ranch, I would find as many excuses as I could. And I make excuses for work in Texas all the time, you know, where I just, I make the most of being able to see them as much as I can. And yeah, so for me, I think it's always a struggle that tugs on me um, as far as like wanting to be home and in Texas, because that's where I feel the most like myself um, and then needing to be here and loving what I do so much that it makes being in Nashville a beautiful thing. So, yeah, so I think it'll always be a tug for me, you know, as to where I want to be. But the goal for me is to pull a George straight on this place and uh, be able to tour and do everything on an extremely high level, but be able to do it. probably spending more time in Texas than here. Right. And do you have an estimated count of how many times you've driven under the welcome to Tennessee sign? Oh my word. That's a great question. Oh my gosh. Oh, uh, I mean, hundreds, a hundred around there, maybe more. I don't know, but a lot, like a lot, a lot. And I do kind of love it. Like going to or from, it's like, I'm going home and that feels great and honestly like when I get to Texarkana right on that Arkansas Texas line I want to get out and kiss the ground but when I'm coming back and I see that welcome to Tennessee sign and I'm going over the the river in Memphis it's also exciting because I know I'm coming back to do what I've worked my booty off to to do for a living so yeah yeah and now in August of 2016 you went out to Marfa Texas to do a photo shoot Yes. Now that experience, what did that mean for this career and for moving forward? And what, what does that hold in your heart, that event still to this day? Yeah. Oh my gosh. You really did your research. This is super impressive. Um, yeah. So that the way that they cowboy and ranch in West Texas, in that part of the country is just so old school and beautiful. And they pretty much do everything horseback and it's uh, like something to live for. You know, it's just beautiful out there. That whole trip really just shaped my outlook on um, what I wanted really out of life. And I think out of music and what imagery that I wanted to portray and how to help people feel what I feel when I sing my songs and I think being out there, it just felt like a part of my soul kind of came alive. And yeah, I love being out there so much. I, st- I mean, most of my music videos have been shot out there. I made some really good friends and um, met some amazing ranchers who, you know, do this on a cowboy on a daily basis. And it's just a beautiful thing. So I feel very, very much richer in my career and in my life for having done that photo shoot out there. And it's definitely shaped so much of, um, of what I do in my aesthetic and, um, and just, I guess the heart of my songs too. Right. And now within this career, like I say, of how much you're involved with it, I saw you post one time, just like a little prayer saying like, Lord, give me the strength to like turn off my mind and not feel guilty about it. Like to just let it all go and just not feel guilty that I'm not doing something. And so within this career, have you fully learned how to do that yet? Oh 
man, yes and no. Uh, yes, in the way that if I'm horseback or out in it or working cattle, yes, I, I will not even think about music. It's lovely. <laughs> that, but that is the place. That is the one place where I feel like I really can do that. And when I'm, when I was at the ranch, of course, that too, I mean, being there, honestly, there's very little else that mattered to me. Um, when I got to be there and got to just be around our cattle and and my family. So, um, I think when I'm in Nashville, it's hard for me, um, to turn my brain off, uh, which could be a good thing because it's like, when I am here, I'm here to work. So that's a good thing. But, and I try, which I'm not successful at all the time, but I try to turn my phone off, um, or at least not get on Instagram at all on Sundays. Right. Um, just because that is work for me too. And, and yeah. as much as I love interacting with people, it is a full-time job to respond to messages and, you know, make sure that people feel seen and heard by me um, and that I'm really being genuine in my responses. So, yeah, so I try and at least take one day a week when I am here in Nashville to try and turn my brain off as much as I can. Um, and then uh, the best places for me to do that otherwise are when I'm working cows. Cause there's really, you can't really think about anything, but the moment you're in. Right. And so do you have to keep your time very scheduled so that you actually leave yourself time to focus on the music? Yes. Yeah. I, my days I'll get up. I love to have a cup of coffee, read my Bible, pray, whatever before seven ish. If I, if I'm not too tired and before eight, if not, and then I'll get up and I'll write out literally hour by hour, what I need to do that day and what time I'm going to be done. And I usually get home and after I'm done, continue to work when I get home. Cause I, I really do love what I do. And so it's, it's not that big of a deal, but yeah, I do have to really plan my days out in order to check everything off of my list. Plus I'm a creative. So when it comes down to it, it's like, if I don't have a to-do list to check off, then I'm not going to get everything done that needs to be done. Right. Yeah. And now El Paso is the newest single that we have from you a little slower than your last few singles. Just talk about uh, when you're coming into a release just sort of figuring out what you do want to release and what tempo you want to release and what you oh, want to yeah. show the fans at that point. Yes. There's so much thought that goes into that. Cause that song was actually written in 2019. I'd had the idea since 2017 written in my phone. And I literally just had two lines. You got away with that lasso pulling me back to El Paso. And I wrote it, I think on my first trip to write, uh, or to cut the coolest girl in the world video. So that oh, my okay. second to Marfa and um, I was coming back and I was on a flight and I, I write really well on flights. So I wrote Midnight Cowboy part of it on one of those plane rides from El Paso. And then I wrote that hook. And then, you know, you walk into a writing room and you say, you got away with that lasso pulling me back to El Paso. And they're like, I don't know. You know, like it could go real cheesy. It could be a terrible song. Right. So uh, I waited for the right moment and the right writers. Um, and there was one other time I think we got started on that song and it just didn't feel right to me. So I was like, time out, you know, like, let's write something else. Like I, this is a really special idea to me and I want to make sure that it's the right thing. And then, um, I wrote it with Robin Collins and, uh, Jake, oh gosh, he's Devin Dawson, Devin Dawson's brother. Uh, 
Jacob Durant. Um, and he's, yeah, Devin Dawson's brother. Anyway, so we're in that room that day and uh, Robin and I were just kind of like spitting lyrics and he put that cool kind of vibe to it because that's what he does. Like his specialty, Jacob's specialty is just creating something that feels really, really magical. So Robin and I were writing lyric and, um, you know, slinging melodies around for, you know, like the lead vocal of a song. And uh, we left that day. He sent us the demo immediately that, and I was listening to it in my kitchen, just like, Oh wow. Like this is special. Like it feels fresh. It feels country and Western, but fresh. Right. And, but it was so slow that I was like, well, this has got to have its own moments. Like we cannot be putting this out and have it be just, you know, like I, I didn't want, I, I think it's important when you're building a show for it to have energy. And so I wanted to build my rep for what was out to be energetic songs so that people would have a really good time when they come to my shows. Right. Yeah. Um, and then spit that out in a moment where I was like, okay, I have enough bulk as far as up-tempo stuff goes to be able to put something out like El Paso, tell a story song and um, have it be a little slower and more of a moment in my set list, but have people know that there are more up-tempo, high-energy songs coming, if that right. makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. I think it, if that's not going to be, if slow ballad story songs are not going to be your thing, then I think you just need to pick the right moment to put one out. And so for me, it felt finally right to do that this year. And um, yeah, I love that song. And, and I'm really, really happy with the way that it turned out because it really does speak to just the heart of me, which is that I absolutely love what I do for a living. And I love to be in a different town and waking up in different cities, but home tugs on me and um, pulls me back to itself always. And so, yeah. Now, there's so much to talk about, but before I let you go, we're going to have to cover everything else in a part two at some point, because before, I let, before I let you go, you are sitting in your truck, and I can't leave without talking about the story, the history of that truck and the trucks, the vehicles that have come before it. So if I can set this up, and then you can take it from there. So at the age of 16... Your granddad, William, passed you down his Ford F-150, which you had learned to drive on at the age of 13. Mm -hmm. And so that was super special. Then you get to your senior year of high school and your dad says, well, you're going to have to start paying for the gas. And yep. unfortunately, it's too expensive. So you had to sell the truck. You got a Jetta, which yep. you drove for a few years, and then you felt this tug to give it away, give that Jetta away to another family who needed it. And so you did that. You didn't have a vehicle for a while and you were praying, praying, praying for a vehicle. Yep. And in 2015, your granddad, William, got to the point where he could no longer drive. And yep. so he calls you up and he asks if you'll drive his truck for him. And I believe that is now the truck you are sitting in. And yes, so... From there, take it away and just the emotional journey that you have had with those vehicles and what it means to continue to be sitting in that vehicle reminding you of home. Oh my gosh. Wow. That was just impressed. I'm so impressed with you. This is a great, 
Thank you. Um, so yeah, when I got rid of that first truck, I cried all the way to the dealership. I knew it was the wise thing to do. I knew I was going to have to pay for my own gas in college. And at that point, kind of like, no, it costs like a hundred bucks to fill my tank up. And so, um, yeah, so I was really, really upset about that, but I just felt like because it was the wise decision that it was going to be redeemed at some point. And then, uh, when I felt like I needed to give that car away, I did. And, um, and I, again, I just felt like it was going to get redeemed and I didn't know that it was going to be this truck, even though it, this was such a special moment to me when my granddad, um, was they, they took him in basically to have a doctor tell him he couldn't drive anymore because oh, okay. he'd gotten a wreck. He would drive himself to go, um, clean off his parents' graves and, and his other family members' graves in St. Joe, Texas, which is really, really little small town. And, um, and then he would forget like how to get home and stuff. So anyways, it got dangerous for him. And so they took him to a doctor and they were like, now Pete, can you tell us a couple animals just off the top of your head? And he was like, bull, bull calf, heifer, heifer, calf, cow, coyote, hawk, you know, like all these very like ranchy animals. Right, and yeah. but it, it was kind of like on a loop basically going right. through them, just repeating himself. And, um, and so they were like, you know, Pete, we can't let you drive anymore. And he was still there, just not all there. And um, that day, like, I just had this feeling. It was so weird. I had this feeling like he's going to call me about that truck today. I have goosebumps now, just even talking about it. And he said, I saw him call me. I was making tuna salad in my kitchen. And uh, I picked up the phone. I said, hey, granddad. He said, well, hi, should." Uh, I got a 2010 F-150 with uh, 60,000 miles on it sitting in my garage. And I was wondering if you'd drive it for me. And I was like bawling. I mean, could not even respond to him because it was just like that impactful to me. And I really feel like <clears throat> the fact that it was me that got to drive that car and I needed one at the time, it redeemed the fact that he was no longer allowed to drive it because we had had such a special connection with these trucks. And, um, I still have his save your ugly face buckle up, uh, pin right here on my visor and, um, my member of the Oklahoma and Texas and Southwestern Cattlemen's associations on my, on my window, which is where he put them for some reason. And he has an eat beef sticker on the back that he never put stickers on any of his trucks. And then for some reason on this one, he, did it. And so I still have that on here. And yeah, it was just so special to me because I, I still feel connected to it because I get to have my hands on this steering wheel and I take it back to the ranch whenever I'm home and, you know, just say I'm bringing granddad back with me. And, you know, it's just, it's just a specialist thing. And, and I pray that, you know, gas is still a thing or we can figure out how to keep this thing running forever. <laughs> Because I want my, you know, future kids to be able to learn how to drive on it or, you know, be able to get it back to the ranch so that he is kind of back there too, in a way. So yeah, very, very, very special uh, vehicle. And, and really where most of my memories came from with him was in a white F-150 on that ranch. So he got a new one every few years. So yeah, really special. Yeah. 
Thank you once again so much for listening and thank you to Jenna for stopping by and sharing her story. Be sure to check out her newest single, El Paso, wherever you stream your music. Please also be sure to check out our website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes and also sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content and stay up to date on all of our upcoming guests. Just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit that subscribe button. You can also find us on any streaming platform. So if streaming is your thing, just head over to your favorite, search Country Music Made Me, give us a follow, and maybe even leave us a review if you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you once again so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me.